Welcome to episode 334 of the 200 Churches Podcast. It's easy when you're a smaller church pastor to, you get pressure from elders and other leaders that are pointing to these laser show churches and saying, hey, why aren't we growing too? Why aren't we like that? And yet a lot of the leaders that I encounter in some of those other churches, they they pine for some of those early days. They pine for when it was smaller, when it was more relational, mm-hmm. and when, honestly, it was a little bit more manageable. And so I would just encourage you, whatever season you're in, enjoy it. And know that if your church does go into a different season, you, there's parts about what's happening right now that you're going to miss dearly. Welcome to the 200 Churches Podcast. We're passionate about providing ministry encouragement to pastors of small churches. Now here are two guys who are definitely better together. Friends, pastors, and podcast partners, Jeff and Johnny. This is the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Jeff Katie. I'm here in the opulent and luxurious 200 Churches Podcast Sound Studio all by myself today to introduce you to this episode where Johnny and I got to talk to Dave Runyon. He is the author of The Art of Neighboring. Now, it was about a year ago, I came out of a morning service and I was in the lobby greeting people, and this guy whom I'd never met walked up to me and he said, hey, Jeff, great service. Hey, I'm a listener to 200 Churches and I happen to be passing through and I I wanted to stop and visit your church. We're on vacation, I'm on a trip, and I'm gonna be leaving. But I wanted to tell you, you've got, it goes along with the message you preached this morning, you've got to get the book, The Art of Neighboring. And I thought, The Art of Neighboring? All I could think of was Mr. Rogers, right? And he's telling me a little bit about it, but I'm distracted because there's people in the lobby, there were some new people that I wanted to make sure I met. And once you're talking to somebody, you know how it is on a Sunday morning after a service in the lobby. You're talking to somebody for more than 30 seconds. You really, as a pastor, start to get antsy. You've got it. You've got a lot of other people that you want to, you just want to touch, right, as they go out. You just want to say hello and make a connection. And I just remember he was talking to me about the art of neighboring and how there were churches in his area that did it, and I didn't get it, and he left, and that was the end of it. But over the last year, on several occasions, I'd hear about this book, The Art of Neighboring. I heard it on a couple podcasts, and so about a month, month and a half ago, I bought the book, and I started looking at it. We were at a conference this past weekend where the author of the book is there to talk about it, and I thought, well, this is great. Now, it just so happened that Johnny and I happened to be there with our staffs at the same conference, and so after one of the sessions where this guy spoke, where Dave spoke, I approached him, and he gladly gave us a few minutes to talk about his book to you, our listeners. And this is episode 334 with Dave Runyon. So we're going to go right into it. I had my wife go find Johnny. He was somewhere in the in the uh, in this large mega church, and my wife found him, brought him to the green room where Dave and I were, and he walked in the room and he looked at me and he said, "Why do you have to be so weird?" <laughs> I'm like, "Hey." I'm just taking advantage of a situation here. Now sit down, let's record. So this is my episode with Johnny and Dave Runyon, the author of The Art of Neighboring. We're in a church nursery. This is real, Johnny. Johnny's with me, and we're here with Dave, who just spoke at this Good for All conference at Valley Church in West Des Moines, Iowa. We're sitting in rocking chairs, too, which is super weird. Well... I mean, it's like we're rocking babies in the nursery. (laughs) We're rocking the podcast today. So, so Dave, um, just introduce yourself. Say nothing about your book, but just tell us about yourself and your family. Yeah. So, I'm Dave. 
married to my wife, Lauren. We have four kids, just like Johnny. And they are 15, a son that's 15, and then we have girls that are 14, 12, and 10. Wow. And I hang out in a suburb right next to Denver called Arvada. Spend most of my time helping churches work together to serve locally and helping businesses think about community impact. So you're not pastoring in a local church right now? I am not. I did that for 10 years. And then now I'm doing this weird thing that's like really hard to describe. Yeah, so... So he pastored for 10 years, and then he decided he'd actually like to make a difference. <laughs> and I respect no. that. And I respect that. <laughs> no, I think I worked... I worked at two great churches, but they were large, evangelical, attractional model churches for the most part. And I think that didn't go great with my gift set. And I think I got, I got pretty worn down um, just because I didn't... I wasn't very healthy in how I was doing that. How many times do we hear this? People leave a large church and they say, you know, I had a great time during those years at Saddleback or during those years at where, you know, pick a church, but I was on the ragged edge. I was burned out. Is that what you experienced? Um, I wasn't burned out as much as I just, I caught this vision for churches working together instead of just focusing on just my church. And that's really what got me to doing what I'm doing now is I just fell in love with the idea of churches who are in, within proximity of each other. Um, those pastors becoming friends with one another, then beginning to work around issues with the poor in my city. And so that was that was really the impetus for me leaving the church. But I do meet pastors all the time. I meet pastors at small churches that are tired and, and going, man, I wonder if this is what I'm supposed to do. And I meet ch- pastors at big churches that are having the same conversation. And then I do meet, I meet pastors, well, there's a bunch here that are just on fire and really feeling like they're in the sweet spot. It's usually just cyclical, right? Like every job, we think it's like ministry. I spend a lot of time with business leaders. They're telling me the same thing. They're big businesses and there's guys that are tired and excited. And then there's big business, you know, like, so I just think sometimes we get into the world of the local church and we do this ministry thing and we do it full time. And then we, we hit rough seasons and we start to go, maybe... Maybe this isn't really my call. Maybe this isn't what I'm really supposed to do. When I'm with people in the business world, I just feel like they're like, yeah, we're, I'm just in, a, I'm just in a, a different season. And they don't think about leaving as much as we do, at least in my opinion. Well, they're running a business. They can't leave, right? Who, I mean, who's <laughs> going to take care of it? That's right. That's exactly right. So you wrote this book, The Art of Neighboring. Did you write it while you were still in the pastorate? Yeah, well, it all happened to me while I was still in the pastorate, and then I wrote it afterwards. So when I was still pastoring, I wouldn't have time to write a book. Uh, <laughs> That'll That'll so yeah, so yeah, and it's just really simple. It's like this thought: this uh, maybe if, as Christians, uh, we should know the names of our neighbors. Like maybe that's like a good place to start when it comes to just being involved in our own neighborhoods. And a series of things happened to me while I was pastoring, where I realized I didn't, I wasn't really engaged in my own neighborhood. I was busy trying to keep the machine afloat. I had filled up my life with a lot of other activity so that I didn't have time and space to connect with the people who were sleeping 40, 50 feet away from me. And I got convicted around that and just started saying no to a few things and started just spending more time in my front yard. Johnny, you always said you never wanted to move to the suburbs, but you live in the suburbs. Yes. You, you've got a busy life and you're a pastor. Do you know your neighbors? I knew he was going to do this, <laughs> but he's going to ask me this question. You know, uh, when Dave was talking today, I was thinking about this very question. 
And I thought, I know the names. So that's part of it, too. That's good. You said the names. Better than most. Because there's people that I talk to, but I don't know their names. So I know the names of probably two of my neighbors. And what you you said eight, right? That's kind of the magic number. So it's like the elementary school number. It's like the lowest number. That's the lowest possible. (laughs) This is the floor we're talking about here. I liked how you said it. You you put the bar so low that people can't crawl Mm. under it. Yeah. Uh, so no, I, I felt as I heard that I felt kind of convicted because I don't uh, I don't know the names of the vast majority of people who live on my street. So you got up this morning and kind of introduced your shtick yeah. to the crowd, and then you would have a workshop later. You got up to speak. I thought you were going to speak for a while. I've watched most, if not all, of your three messages that are online, the Art yeah. of Neighboring series, and you got up there, man, and, and you and I thought. He just shared something so short, but so cogent, but so simple at the same time. Why does this feel so good when it was like seven or eight? I don't know how long it was. Was it like eight or eight minutes? Yeah, like ten minutes. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we're not we're not talking about rocket science here. Exactly. And it's really concrete. That that was the thing. Is it's like, hey, you either can write down your neighbors' names or you can't. And if you can't, then especially as a ministry leader. And I mean, I'm just going to speak as a pastor for most of my life. I was not engaged in my neighborhood. I couldn't write down and list off the names of most of my neighbors. There's something messed up about that. And I just had to confront that and just say, why am I living in in a way in which I don't have enough time to remember the names of my neighbors? Now, remembering the names of your neighbors, it's like a Trojan horse. Once you like get there, then all of a sudden, with some of them, you'll start taking the next step. And I guess here's the thing I'd want to tell the pastors that, that listen to your podcast. I got into ministry because I have a heart to see people come to know God. And after 10 years of being on church staff, most of my relationships were with people who thought about the world the way I did. They were with my staff members, most of my deep relationships. And this neighboring thing breathes so much new life into me personally because it put me back in the game with people who don't know God. Hmm. And I think as pastors, you started a deficit. You know, like you, if you're if your neighbors know you're a pastor and you kind of reach out to them, it's hard because they tend to be a little bit more standoffish if they've had bad experiences with the church. Um, but I think I think that's easily overcome with a little bit of persistence and just by being a normal person. You're not trying to like coach them. That was the other thing. You got to learn to take off your pastor hat and be like a normal person in your neighborhood. They don't they're not looking for somebody to like fix all their problems right away. Do I have to drink a beer with them and stuff like that? Um it would help. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole history between Johnny and I on the and this beer thing, but yes. uh, yeah, well my dad was an alcoholic, so I'm probably not going to do that. But I, I think there's plenty but I, of avenues to connect with your neighbors. <laughs> Beyond beer. There's, there's, there's a lot of different ways to do it. And I think it's the small things that make a big difference. It's just being the kind of person that can, like, use somebody's name when you see them. One, admit, if you don't know their name, just admit it. Say, hey, listen, this is embarrassing. I've, I, we've lived next to, you, to each other for four years. I don't know your name. Write down their name. Use their name when you see them. Ask them if they watch the end of the Iowa State, Iowa game and how bonkers that was. If you need to borrow something, borrow something. If you need help moving a couch, ask for help moving a couch. This isn't rocket science, right? It's all basic stuff. But for me, it was liberating. And to start taking off some of my stuff of how I show up with people in my staff or in work stuff and just to be able to 
hang out with somebody in the front yard, have conversation, and be curious about their life. So this book you wrote, The Art of Neighboring, you've got a website. Is it artofneighboring.com? I think it is. <laughs> but you're not sure. But but it doesn't matter because all they got to do is search for Art of Neighboring. Art of Neighboring. It'll come right up. But and again, there's a bunch of... There's a bunch of free resources. We developed all of our stuff as a group of about 22 churches, so nobody really owned it. So we have a sermon. If, listen, if you're a pastor in a small church and you just don't want to prep sermons for three weeks, you should just go take our sermon series that is designed to be plagiarized and just use it. Because 20, <laughs> 22 of us made the sermon series together. Nobody owns it. So you don't have to steal Andy Stanley stuff this week. You can go and literally, <laughs> you literally take ours and just use it, and it's really simple. So part of it was a gift with a lot of the pastors in our network. They were like, "Okay, we got a certain we get, we have to like just all talk in our city about the same thing," and and it was beautiful to have all these different churches speaking with one voice was really really something. And and the non-believers around were like, "What you guys are actually working together?" You know, <laughs> it's the John seventeen thing where Jesus prays. I want you to be one, and people that don't know God are going to be drawn towards me. We saw that lived out in our city. That was the part, you know, I joked at the beginning, you, you were in ministry until you wanted to make a difference, and then... I'm still in ministry. No, no, I know. <laughs> you were a pastor, sorry, okay. until you wanted to make a difference. So, but when you talked about connecting churches together, I think that's so beautiful. Yesterday, Jeff and I were talking to um, N.T. Wright, and he was talking about unity being one of the most important things right. in the church, right? And this need for unity and how we don't have unity in our churches and it makes a mockery of the gospel, essentially. And what you're talking about is creating unity throughout the church through this, you know, art of neighboring. Uh, 22 churches is a lot of churches to combine, like, to get together and do the same thing. And I think that's really, uh, that's really cool and something that uh, I, I think our pastors who our listeners can learn a lot from um, because they are in small churches. They don't have the resources to do all of these ministries uh, in their communities yeah. that they maybe want to do. But if you pool your resources with another church or another set of churches and you start to yeah. live in this neighborly way, you know, what kind of difference can that make in the world? So that's really cool. Yeah. Well, I don't know who this N.T. Wright guy is, but clearly he's stealing some of our stuff. So <laughs> I would just like to have that out there. Um, yeah, and, and to your point, Johnny, I think the, the good news is this. This isn't like some program or something. This is like simple. Like, hey, in our church, we would like for the people who attend here to be some of the best neighbors on their block or in their apartment complex. This, it's not a program. It's not anything. It's just like, hey – Here's like a little tool. Put this on your fridge. Use this so that you can begin to take small steps with your neighbors. And then pray, God, what what you want me to do next? What's the next small step I can take? And so it's wired for small churches in that it doesn't take a lot. I will say this, though. the In churches where this works well, the common denominator is that the pastor is actually doing it in their own life. We've had about 2,500 churches use our stuff. The vast majority of them just do a good sermon series. We check back on them a year later, and they go, oh, that was a great series. 10 to 15%, they drive it into the DNA of their church. And the three common denominators of the churches that actually drive this into the DNA, the number one is that their leadership actually does it. Like they actually, I'm not saying you have to be the best neighbor in your, on your block, but you take some small steps in your own neighborhood. Because if you do that, you won't be able to shut up about it. You'll just start you know, throwing neighboring illustrations into sermons where they don't even belong. And that's not a bad thing. So the number one is you have to actually do take some steps in your life. Number two, tell stories. Tell stories of what is happening amongst your people. 
And the great news for the small church pastor is the best stories aren't the great video stories with the best-looking couple in your church that do something heroic, that has the music come up at the right time. (laughs) The best stories are the ones where you just bring somebody else up, interview them. Sometimes it's so awkward. Sometimes I've been in these moments where I'm like, oh, God, please help that poor guy up there. He's drowning. (laughs) And something magical happens when a normal person can actually take steps in their own life. Like most of our people just want to abdicate their calling. And so when they see the video, the perfect video with the great-looking couple, they just go, oh, I could never do that. I'm not them. But when they see like a normal person who actually struggles to share their own story, it makes what they're talking about attainable instead of some distant, far-off thing. Hmm. And so small churches are wired to just invite somebody up. Spend 15 minutes of your sermon time interviewing somebody about what's happening in their neighborhood and what they're learning, where they're succeeding and where they're failing. And allow people to see the story. So that's the the second thing. The third thing that you have to do is you have to say the simple thing over and over again. You have to have the courage to go, hey, what you do in your front yard counts. We really believe that what you do with your neighbors is real ministry. Um, How well are you doing at remembering your neighbor's names? Do you know names right now that you didn't know three months ago? Saying the same thing over and over again in our church culture is really hard because the push and the is, give me something new feed me pastor feed me mm-hmm. right there's you know inner inspire me you know mm-hmm. so that that's hard and it goes against saying the same simple thing over and over again but a friend of mine uh, his name's brian mavis said this he said you know in this life we only get to do a few things well we can only do a few things well i think it would be a good idea if one of those is the thing that jesus said matters most what jesus said matters most is love god with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself and I would just really encourage you to think about, as a pastor, are you doing that in your own life? Are you at least taking some baby steps outside where you live? And are you leading your people in that way, too? Are you leading your people down the road where one of the things that they're doing well is the thing that Jesus said matters most? You're not going to say it better, Jeff. Don't restate it. <laughs> well, I'm That's just going like to say... To do, don't do it. I like these guys. I like, I like these guys I, a lot. You're not going to say it better. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, oh, not this neighboring stuff again. <laughs> You said that in there, and yeah. I just had to laugh yeah. because it's so true. I talk about love, and some of my folks are like, oh, he's talking about love again. Yeah. Oh, you know, we've heard about this so much. So theartofneighboring.com, the book is The Art of Neighboring. And at that website, you're right. There's PowerPoints. There are Word documents filled with voluminous message notes. <laughs> there, I think there's small group guides, and there's even short little small group video snippets by Yours truly. There's my friend Jay and I wrote this book together. It's been one of the the best things that's happened to our friendship is just being able to work on this together. And we wrote this we wrote this because eighteen churches did something together. We really wrote this because we thought it'd be cool if our moms could have a book on their bookshelf and point at it and say, look, my, my son wrote a book. And we thought, yeah, our moms, we, we're going to sell two books for sure. Um, and it's been, because it's so simple, we've been shocked at how it's taken off and how many people have been drawn to it. I would just encourage you, the, the pastors out there, be easier on yourselves. Like so many of you, there's, I hang out with a lot of large church pastors, and oftentimes they'll look at me and just go, my favorite season was this. And it's never the season they're in. They're always talking. They're always looking back at some other point 
when the church was in its more formative years when they just really felt fulfilled. And it's easy when you're a smaller church pastor to you get pressure from elders and other leaders that are pointing to these laser show churches and saying, hey, why aren't we growing too? Why aren't we like that? And yet a lot of the leaders that I encounter in some of those other churches, they they pine for some of those early days. They pine for when it was smaller, when it was more relational, mm-hmm. and when, honestly, it was a little bit more manageable. And so I would just encourage you, whatever season you're in, um, enjoy it. Enjoy it. And know that if your church does go into a different season, you, there's parts about what's happening right now that you're going to miss dearly. And so that'd be my word of encouragement for you. Super. Thanks for joining us today, Dave. You bet. That was a great episode. It was so fun being with Johnny and being with Dave at that church, uh, listening to him, and then being able to interact with him. It, it, it was just a blast. He And he's a great guy, really a great guy. We just, one of those guys that you wish uh, lived near you because you'd, you'd be friends with him. He really has a great website at artofneighboring.com. A lot of resources there for you to do, not just a neighboring preaching series, sermon series, but actually a neighboring movement in your church. And he's got some best practices listed on one of his, uh, I think they call it the Art of Neighboring Cheat Sheet, one of the downloadable resources. And he says phase one is lead by example, and you got to do it from the top down, the lead pastor and a few key leaders. They should start by doing what they call the block map exercise. You make a commitment to learn, retain, and use the names of your immediate neighbors. And ideally, this would be done among a group of three to five people at least three months before rolling it out with your entire staff. So you check in regularly and you process how well you're doing and learning names and taking the next step. And then step two is the staff challenge. You use 30 minutes in a, in a staff meeting or whoever the leaders of your church are, and you cast the vision for what they call literal neighboring. The pastor and the key leaders, they share some of what they've learned since they did the block map exercise where they learned the names of the people in their neighborhood. And then there's a 10-minute video uh, that's a tool designed to introduce ministry leaders to what they call, again, literal neighboring. Phase one is critical. Pastors and staff, those who engage their literal neighbors, almost always see long-term results in their church. Senior leadership teams that fail to learn their neighbors' names seldom see long-term results. And he talked about that, what was different about the churches that that were connected in their neighborhoods a year later uh, compared to the ones that weren't. So phase one is lead by example. Phase two is launching a neighboring initiative in your church, and you do the sermon series, and then you uh, do a small group study. There's a six-week small group study that can be used as a follow-up six or even 12 months after the sermon series or in conjunction with the sermon series. And then phase three is following up. And he says, if, if you want to make neighboring part of the DNA of your church, you should do these three things after the sermon series. That You do the block map pop quizzes, uh, where a couple months after the, your initial sermon series, you take a couple minutes uh, during the announcement time to do a block map pop quiz. Include the map image in the bulletin and simply ask everyone to fill it in with the names of their neighbors. 
then ask them to raise their hands if they've learned a name since you last talked about literal neighboring. So you do the pop quiz, then you do stories. Following the sermon series, you have different people share stories, their neighboring stories of how they'd interacted with their neighbor, neighbors and how they're getting to know them and what they're learning about them. And then the third thing, the third follow-up is called This Counts. It's, it's important for the primary teacher to be intentional and relentless in communicating that what we do in our front yards counts. It's real ministry, just like serving as an elder in the children's ministry, at the food bank, in the worship ministry, youth ministry, whatever. And when we verbalize that we are affirming and validating the neighboring efforts that our people have made and are going to make in the future, that is going to make a difference. That's just a little bit of what Dave has, Dave and his team have on this cheat sheet. There are PowerPoint files, there are Word documents, there are videos, there are images. Just go on to artofneighboring.com, order the book, The Art of Neighboring, uh, on Amazon or wherever you want to get it. I tell you, really great resources. And and when I talked to him initially after his session at this conference, I said, Dave, what you're teaching here and what you're doing, this doesn't matter what size your church is. This this could work in a family just talking to their neighbors. It could work in a house church, a micro church, a, a small church, a large church. It's so scalable because everybody does it and every family can be involved and can be a part of this. So there you go. It was great being with Johnny and with Dave. And uh, next week, we've got another great episode for you. You have a great week. We've missed you as we took most of the month of September off. September's a busy month. Johnny and I were like chickens with our heads cut off at both of our churches. We just decided, in fact, we didn't really decide. It just happened. We just, we recorded during the month of September. But recording is easy. Editing and producing and and publishing each episode that takes a little longer, but we've got uh, we've got episodes stocked up now, and we hope to be weekly through at least the rest of the calendar year, and maybe who knows until Jesus comes. Hey, it was great having you today. We'll see you next week on the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Angela, and I want to thank you for listening to this episode. If you haven't already, you should subscribe to our weekly email at 200churches.com and to the podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You know it. We'll be back next week with another amazing and encouraging episode just for you. Until then, may God bless you as you lead and love His church. Backpacks? Is that your swag bag Dude, in here? Re- Jeff, I talked about you on Sunday. And, uh, I had people rolling. I said, my friend oh, Jeff, sh- the pastor I used to work with, I said, he tells stories that have a mind-boggling level of detail to them. I said, he will never tell you about a guy he worked with. He'll tell you about Wayne Fredrickson, who he worked with from summer of 83 to spring of 85. <laughs> I said, he won't just tell you a story oh, about that. You know, and he'll, he'll tell you a story. And it's, ostensibly it's about you know Wayne Fredrickson, but it starts with Dale Covington, who, who had a mustache and drove a green pickup truck and, lit, and always wore the same gray suit to church.
when we come out of uh, the conversation, what I want to do is talk about that lovely Afghan that you're sitting on. That's what I really want to talk about. Hey, one of Debbie's grandmothers made this Afghan. It's, I called it lovely, so I don't know why, what you're accusing me of right now. This is a vintage 1970s or early 80s Afghan. It shows, but it's, it looks like it's sturdy. This is one of those... One of those blue pla- This is the blue plaid love seat. Not that it used <laughs> yes. to be in my office. That has the the wood back. Yes, yeah. yes. It used to be done in the family room, I think. Yep. You and I had to move it around whenever we wanted to record. Man, we love had we seat. had the best thing going on.